Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Timothy Hickey. He is one of the founders of Friends of Water. They're in the business of saving, filtering, and celebrating water for the environment, for health, recreation, and gardening. There are a lot of people that are very concerned right now and are looking for products and information to educate themselves and to save and filter their water. And they're concerned about radiation, chlorine, chloramine, fluoride. There's a lot of concern. More people are becoming educated. Timothy Hickey has been in this business for five years. He comes out of the business of wholesaling tropical fish. We want to give him a warm welcome. He's going to help educate us about how we can save, filter, and celebrate water. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Timothy Hickey from Friends of Water. Good morning. Good morning, Kim. Thanks very much. The first thing I want to ask you is, what do you mean by save? I know what filter water means and celebrate water, but what does save water mean? That's a good question. We mean two things by save water. One is stop using so much of it. Uh, we, We waste a lot of water in our culture, and there's not much of it available is the truth of it in our history, there's never been a time before where we have actually been using up um, groundwater um, in some many places, and it essentially can't replenish once that happens. Uh, so by saving water, firstly, we mean reduce the usage, which can include reusing it, of course, gray water and the like. Secondly, we mean save water by stop doing things that contaminate it. So that's well illustrated by one of the products that we sell that works well, which is a laundry ball that doesn't add any um, detergent to the water that then runs off into the environment. So the second way is simply stop doing things in your garden, in your house, using the dangerous chemicals and the like that are bad both for us and Mother Earth. Let's just talk about that product. I mean, this is not an infomercial, but you mentioned this laundry ball. So you don't use Borax, Mule Team. What do you use in this ball then, and how do you clean your laundry? Um, Yeah, it's a fascinating product. I'm not a chemist, and I rapidly get over my head on um, how this exactly works, but it's a combination of ceramics and, and minerals in a patented cleaning technology. Um, there are even microorganisms in it. And they all, each of those components has a different property that, when combined, um, effectively clean clothes. Part of it is that it changes the water a little bit that more readily allows um, dirt to be lifted from the surface. So it uh, eliminates, you know, the use of chlorine in the water and uh, discoloration and oxidation and um, it really works. We use it in our house and uh, a retreat we're affiliated with that has hundreds of people all the time coming through use it. It actually uh, leaves no residue, has all natural components, so it's entirely non-toxic. How many loads do you get with it? A thousand. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So it's a nice money That should be called too. a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than a laundry yeah. ball. It's good, as many of the things we sell out for people with allergies and sensitivities, too. You can really have clean water and 
not use the chemicals that we Americans tend to go to for a lot of things. Now, I did a show several weeks ago on fluoride with the Fluoride Action Center. And more and more people are becoming aware of the toxicity of fluoride and the dangers of fluoride on a lot of levels. However, chlorine is still not really been integrated as part of a danger. Chloramine is new for many people. And I can't believe how many people are still swimming in pools with the toxic chemicals in there. I went swimming down in Palm Springs at this big resort and it dried my skin so bad. It was ridiculous. Talk a little bit about chlorine and chloramine that we need to understand more clearly. Certainly. Uh, the first thing is that chlorine does play an important role. Um, it is a disinfectant and did play an important part in uh, eliminating a lot of dangerous and harmful diseases that we work passing around through the water, like malaria, you know. So at least it serves a good, meaningful purpose. Um, my thinking is good, thank you very much, but that doesn't mean we should drink it. Um, chlorine is designed and used for killing living things. That's its role in, in the water. So um, I'm not much impressed when people tell me uh, don't worry about it at the level in your drinking water. Uh, it won't cause harm. One of the reasons I'm not impressed is that that assumes that that's the only source uh, or exposure to it, which may or may not be the case. But there are studies that strongly suggest a link between exposure to chlorine and an increased risk of uh, bladder cancer, for one. Um, the EPA has said that virtually every bathroom in the country is um, over-chlorinated uh, because chlorine releases into the air and the body readily absorbs it through the skin through both water and the air. So um, we do drink it, but we also bring it readily into the body through showering and bathing. So one study in in Barcelona, done a few years ago now, um, reported that the um, more exposure to chlorine, the higher the risk. So, The higher the risk of what, Timothy? Uh, bladder cancer in particular, cancer and in particular bladder cancer. Um, those drinking highly chlorinated water, I'm not sure off the top of my head what how they defined highly chlorinated, but raise the cancer risk by 35%. And to your point, swimming in chlorinated pools raise the risk by 57%. And those who no longer, or excuse me, those who took longer showers and baths in chlorinated water saw their risk of bladder cancer increase 83%. How current are those studies, Timothy? That was 2000. That's, I'm quoting one that was done in 2006. Okay. By the Municipal Institute of Medical Research in Barcelona. There are, uh, there's conflicting information about chlorine. Um, the U.S. Council of Environmental Quality has a quote that says cancer risk among people drinking chlorinated water is 93% higher than among those whose water does not contain chlorine. 
that seems a pretty strong statement from the U.S. Council of Environmental Quality. Um, and yet I'm told the EPA actually doesn't classify chlorine as a carcinogen. Of course not. But but they also have told municipalities to reduce trihalomethanes, which are a byproduct of chlorination. And um, the reason for that is that they are uh, have been linked with cancer. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I in the end, my feeling is we all have to make up our own minds. It just doesn't make sense to me to be drinking and absorbing through the skin something that's designed to kill living things. I feel like humanity, we're kind of in a pickle because everywhere we turn, including going out and eating food at restaurants and drinking water at restaurants, in California, everything is fluoridated and it's forced fluoridation in other states as well in other countries. And the people in charge are contaminating the water with drugs and chemicals. And so everywhere you look, it's like in order to be safe, you really need to invest in equipment. And there's many different types of equipment. There's people that are into clustered water. There's people that will tell you there's a better way, you know, have ionized water or non-ionized water. There's different facets of this whole thing that make filtering our water kind of complex. And I'd like yeah. you, if you could, to make it simpler for us in whatever way you can. Can you? Well, I could try. Um, I mean, in one sense, that's what we're working on every day here. Um, a lot of the issues are extremely complex, and it, you get into a lot of chemistry. And one of the things that I've noticed that I think it's in a, a legitimate effort to try to communicate to people how effective filters are, but it's become the norm, and, you know, long ago, and it continues, that um, charts showing the percentage of particular contaminants being removed at a particular rate, you know, has is common, and, and the human mind likes that, you know. It's just, just tell me how much it will take out. Well, unfortunately, and I'm probably making it more complex before I simplify it, which I will get to, I promise, but one thing is that charts about percentages that uh, different contaminants are removed can be helpful and, and indicative, but people should not take it as gospel that that's what's going to happen in their home or that that's what's going to happen in their home over time. Um, not all, but most tests are done in a lab. Obviously, the, it has to be, de- by definition, a controlled setting. And usually the filters are new. You know, maybe they're a couple months old to get a little more of a sense of it. But um, what's it going to be like in your house after you've been using a filter for 10 months or something isn't really addressed by those charts particularly. Again, they can be indicative and give you some sense, but the the reality that you described very well, Kim, is that there's all kinds of things in the water, and it changes location to location and day to day. How could one ever even know how those chemicals are interacting with one another? That's a more disturbing question. <laughs> yeah, so here's hopefully a a way to, you know, narrow it and simplify it a bit. Our recommended solution is to get water filtration uh, 
that targets the categories of contaminants that we do find in the water. And there are some contaminants that require more filter material than others to remove them, and we can address that in a minute. But in general, they fall into, you know, sediment, odor, taste, chemically-based contaminants, and organic-based contaminants. And so what we recommend is filters that work on those categories of contamination and try to get as much filter material as you can on those categories that are properly balanced in a system so that whatever is, you know, thrown at you through your water, you have a, a protection against. So um, it's a little more meaningful to me than to just say, you know, 88% of X contaminant is taken out. Well, maybe one day, maybe the next day it combined with something else, maybe 10 months later your filter's getting tired and it's not taking out as much, you know. So it's there's less certainty about it than, than we would all feel comfortable with. But it is pretty much a fact that the more filter material you have, you know, assuming the right type of filter material and good quality, the more filter material you have, the more filtration and protection you'll get. Let's talk a little bit about the shower filters. Okay. And I also want to bring in the fact that people are very concerned about the radiation, not only the chemicals, both synthetic and organic, that they're taking in when they're showering, but also the fact that there's radiation in the water supply. And my question to you is, what's your take on it? I know there's radiation water filters for drinking, but is that available for shower filters? Um, not not really. Um, at least I haven't been able to find any. Um, if we build this on the last comment, that the more filter material you have, the higher level of protection you'll get. Almost by definition, a shower filter doesn't have as much filter material as a kitchen filter does. And therefore it's harder to take out as much of the contamination as many. Um, we'll go in two directions here, but to start, we'll just talk about the shower filters for a minute. Um, it's worth a mention here that friendsofwater.com was founded by my wife, Alan, and myself, and we're completely independent, and we can and do sell those products that we believe are the best Um and, you know, well-made and well-backed. Um, so the shower filters that we sell, our manufacturing partner has a patented process whereby the filter material, which is called KDF, which is a really great filter material made of copper and zinc, that material is powderized and shaped into what looks like a woven hockey puck. And the net effect, because of the change in the filter material and the the way the water moves through the filter material, is a greatly increased contact time between the filter and the media, which is how filtration happens. And so their in-house tests have said that the actual um, effectiveness for the same size filter is increased by eight, so a factor of eight, so... Um, the shower filters, if they're they're available in chlorine or chloramine um, versions, and we will describe that 
for you in a minute. But uh, they virtually eliminate chlorine um, and reduce other contaminants. Uh, you can't count on it to take out all the radiation. Um, they're good at taking out heavy metals, and um, that will be a help. Um, and it'll reduce lime scale and things like that that you know you don't need in your water. But the biggest risk, radiation is something we're all still learning about, um, unfortunately. Huh? But yes. the, uh, we're, we're still working on that, and I don't see a, you know, a true radiation a shower filter coming out immediately. Um, if we put radiation on a shelf for a second, however, the, the greatest risk at the shower and in the bath is um, chlorine or chloramine. And I want you to explain now, because we're there, the distinction okay. between chlorine and chloramine and bring the audience into that distinction. Chloramine, which is found in more and more municipalities now, is formed when the municipalities add ammonia to the water, which forms together with chlorine to form the new chloramines. And the biggest reason they're doing it is the EPA said to reduce trihalomethanes, which are a byproduct of chlorine. Um, the EPA didn't particularly uh, recommend or suggest chloramines. They just said that the water supply places should work on reducing trihalomethanes. Unfortunately, although chloramine does um, produce fewer trihalomethanes, the byproducts, there's nothing to suggest that the net result is any healthier for people. And in fact, you know, we're in a position to talk to people all the time about these issues. Um, lots of people are having problems with chloramine that are actually more readily visible, um, apparent, I should say, than, than chlorine, which, you know, works longer over term. Uh, people are having a lot of problems, uh, many people are, that most of which have to do with um, the skin or breathing. Um, the most extreme case we've heard of is uh, a place in uh, Texas that apparently is struggling getting the level under control. I don't know why that would be, but um, they're, the chloramine levels seem to be spiking. How does the public find out whether they have chlorine or chloramine in their water? It really is easy. You just get the phone number on your water bill and call and ask them. They're happy to tell you. Um, I think they're legally required to as well, but, you know, they'll tell you. Um, they're doing, you know, they're trying to disinfect the water, so they think it's a, a good thing, and they're Shifting to chloramines means a reduction in trihalomethane. So, you know, they'll, they'll provide that information. They won't, in most cases, tell you proactively about it. However, Lee to Lee comes to mind who, you know, was through a discussion with me that she learned that she should check and was surprised to learn that Portland, Oregon has chloramines because they don't have fluoride. So, um, so you really need to check. And that those are the two questions to ask a municipality. Is it chlorine or chloramines? And secondly, is the water fluoridated? 
And with that information, we can then, well, anyone can then know what it is that they need to filter out and can select the right water filters. What do you think about the fact that a lot of people are very concerned about drinking water from their sinks? They're right to be concerned. Um, the first thing is, well, there's so many things here. There's a lot of things in the water that we know are in the water now because there have been national tests, not at every location, but in many, many different locations. And when these tests are done, what we learn is there's a lot of contamination in the water that's not even being tested for or checked for or monitored at the water supply level. So um, in my view, it's pretty clear. We know there's pharmaceutical drugs, illegal drugs, hormones, chemicals like fuel additives, Anytime they test for these things in several locations, they're finding a lot in many locations. So I think it's time that people did realize that this is the case and that, in fact, it'll vary day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year. Why do you think our water supply is a dumping ground? Well, because the... um, you know, we have been both in our homes and in our businesses been using the earth that way for decades. Um, you know, we can point to, I grew up um, in the town next to Woburn, um, where the story, you know, a civil action took place where contamination was in the water and, um, we, you know, there are these highly visible situations that we can point to businesses for, but oh, look under your kitchen sink. It's in many, many households just filled with one after the next toxic chemical. Right. <laughs> uh, they, it goes, we use it, it goes down the drain, it ends up in the water supply. We use uh, toxic chemicals in our gardens somehow believing that that in the long run is going to help us. Although I did organic gardening, you know, for 20 years or so and just had terrific gardens without doing that and lots of good, fresh, healthy produce. Um, You use it in your garden, it rains. Some of it, of course, breaks down, but not all of it does, and it ends up in the water. I'm also talking about the big companies that want to get rid of their own waste. Why the water supply? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. It just doesn't make no, sense. As you say, awareness is growing, and um, you know, hopefully the tide is turning. But uh, it's certainly reached a point now that we we know for a fact we need to be seriously concerned. I mean, the the net effect of this is not yet all known, but as the studies um, show more and more, um, as you mentioned, you had a. a guest from the Fluoride Action Network recently, Yes, you can go to that site. It's a great source of information. They um, list one study after the next that shows the risks of um, fluoride in the water. Now, does that prove it? Maybe not, but 
when I read 10 studies, every one of them indicating a, a link, a risk of some health problem. You don't think that they have enough evidence over the last 50 years to bury fluoride? I do. I think there's enough. I think there's plenty of evidence to bury this chemical. Seriously. It's absurd. There are a few arguments used against it. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of cities in America that recently added fluoride. It's that befuddling to me. I really yeah. don't understand. Well, that's a whole other show. But let's get to the radiation water filters that remove radiation from cesium, strontium, and other radioactive contaminants. Let's talk about it because you're the first person I've talked with that filters radiated iodine, cesium, strontium, plutonium, uranium, and other radiated contaminants. Are you sure about the plutonium side? As I've said, I'm not a chemist. A lot of my role is to... Uh, but, I mean, these are tested for removing plutonium and uranium from the water. That's profound. Yeah, they are. Yeah, what I'm saying is that this is, there are chemists working behind me. You know, I'm, I'm not a chemist. A lot of what I do is work with them and try to translate it into terms that most of us can understand. But as soon as the situation in Japan happened, um, you know, I spoke with our manufacturing partner and said, I'm hearing from people who, want radiation protection, and um, it's a pretty new topic for us. And the answer was that actually some is removed, a meaningful amount, by the filters that we've been selling for years. Um, iodine is, uh, radiated iodine is uh, filtered by carbon, um, and the KDF will uh, reduce um, a number of the radiated isotopes. But I said, let's get something that does the job better. And they immediately got to work with the chemists who put together cartridges using those materials that have been proven and in use in you know industrial settings and such for years into what is the most effective uh, radiation removal filter you can get in a 10-inch cartridge. It combines... A, uh, there's a layer of carbon that uh, starts the filter. These layers are separated by sediment filtration, too, but there's uh, the carbon, as I mentioned, takes out radiated uh, iodine. Um, then there's a layer of a resin, and that resin selects for cesium and strontium. Um, and then there's another mixed bed of two other resins. One works on cationic and the other on anionic isotopes. And that's essentially positively and negatively charged molecules. And um, it finishes with yet another layer of the um, granulated activated carbon. And these... Um, one or the other of these five filter materials, in addition to the sediment filter, will select for um, all of the radiation contaminants that um, we might be finding in the water. That's fantastic. They came up with that very quickly, didn't they? They did, and um, I'm, I'm really grateful. It's uh, I'm, you know a lot of our customers have gotten them. Um, one of the you know, the same thing holds true. We go back to the same question that we all love to ask, well, how much radiation will it take out? Well, 
let's use, you know, counts per minute, uh, which is like a Geiger count, Geiger counter thing. Um, how, the, the question is, how much radiation is there and what form does it take? Is it 100 counts per minute and it's all cesium? Is it 100 counts per minute and it's spread over seven different types of contaminated things? Is it, you don't know. <laughs> I know we all love to say it takes out 98%, you know. At the low levels, it'll virtually eliminate it, but if it spikes, which is what happens with radiation, unlike some of the other contaminants we're talking about, you know, which it's exposure over time, um, the way to have more protection is to have more filters. So um, what some folks are doing is getting a three-cartridge, three yeah, three-canister kitchen unit, put maybe one radiation filter in it, and then take out the other types of contaminations on a daily basis, uh, track what's happening on the radiation levels, and if it's spiking, um, you can actually just drop in, replace cartridges, and double or triple the level of protection by using two or three radiation cartridges. Sounds involved, but very necessary. How long do the cartridges usually last for different applications? Like a shower filter, you said, will last a 1,000 hours? Um, almost everything, the manufacturer's recommendation is to swap out the uh, filters once a year. Once a year. The radiation cartridge, if its radiation is running higher than normal, the recommendation is, you know, six months to a year. Higher than normal, meaning what would be acceptable for people walking around with cell phones type thing? There are a lot of sources of radiation. It is normal for us to have radiation right. around us. Understood. Um, and that's sort of background radiation. So at that level, you know, once a year is going to be fine. Um, and um, you may have seen radiationnetwork.com. I'm looking at that site a lot. Um, at the moment, everything's you know, appears to be pretty much a background level. Um, there were times recently where things spiked somewhat in Southern California and uh, another time Colorado got not up to an alert level, but, you know, maybe four times what it normally is. And uh, Massachusetts went up in that area. So um, I like that site because they're tracking just by having people around the country uh, report in. So it takes out a little of the um, opinion and just says this is what we measure today. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? I know that you also sell air cleaners, and that seems kind of complicated to try to figure out what works and what doesn't and what's good and what should you have. I wondered if you have anything you'd like to say for a few minutes about that. Yeah, it is um, complicated. Uh, the There are... Uh, um, probably comparable range of issues to the uh, to water. Um, there are a number of types of filters that would work well. Um, what we've done is selected what we believe are the best options at a low price level, a mid-tier, and an expensive one. Um, the most expensive is, well, roughly speaking, five six hundred dollars, um, and it uses lots of uh, carbon, but also a HEPA filter. And if you use enough carbon with a HEPA filter, you can pretty much count on anything that you know comes through the water being addressed. Do you mean the air? 
I'm sorry. I'm in the air. Thank you. Okay. And um, on the uh, the next, the the more expensive ones are very green in the sense that they're not made of plastic. There's the wheels and the uh, handle or uh, knob are made of uh, plastic, but the rest of it is is metal and they don't detox in your house and you know add to the um, air pollution while you're trying to clean it. They last a long time. You run them on a low level, and it's very effective. Um, then there's a mid-tier that is made of plastic. It's less expensive, but they combine a number of different types of air filtration, HEPA and pre-filtering and electromagnetics and a couple of other ways that amongst them will work very effectively to, to keep your air in your house clean. Then there's an inexpensive one, about $89, that uses water to clean the air, which is actually how we got into it, uh, air purification at all. Um, it cleans the air in much the same way that a rainstorm does. You know, it just the air is blasted through water, and uh, it, things are removed as it does so. So there's options and uh, um, all of them can be pretty effective. The That inexpensive one, we were, maybe it was three years ago now in Northern California, we had tremendous fires around us and the air was filled with smoke. It was really bad for uh, weeks and uh, people around here were wearing air masks and uh, mouth masks and the like and a lot of people got these filters and it just worked great. So you, when you were home, you could know that you weren't breathing in the smoke. I know that you began your business when you were working with fish in the tropical fish business, wholesaling them. I'd like you to share with the audience how that led you into this and what you noticed with fish. Yeah, it's, it was an interesting story. I was a hobbyist and a friend of mine was, and we decided to get into the business and we started a business. And quickly realized that very often fish died if we put them in tap water. This was in New England. Um, even if we waited and dechlorinated the, the water, it still some fish didn't survive. We were trying to breed some tropical fish too and found it just didn't work. They, they essentially didn't breed or if they did, um, the offspring weren't healthy. So we determined that the water was the issue and made a very concerted effort to learn a lot more about it, to learn what we needed to do to give clean fish, clean water to the fish. But of course, what I noticed along the way was that I'm drinking this water. It's killing them and I'm drinking it. So I got, that was when I first dialed into the importance of it. We went to the Boston Aquarium, which is a big, beautiful place, and uh, they were very helpful and gave us behind-the-scenes tours and showed us all of their methodology for taking care of the water and therefore the fish, including not just keeping it clean but uh, recreating the natural conditions, which vary for different types of fish. And we also were helped by uh, three scientists at MIT who... I think we're fascinated by a couple of young guys who actually cared 
us much about what they knew. <laughs> and they really helped us. They really brought us in and explained how things work and told us what to read. And uh, that's how we got started. And uh, uh, most importantly, got started on learning about the importance of uh, clean water. And by the way, when we did address it, we the, the problems did go away. We had healthy fish that had healthy babies and thrived. The, uh, um, but the biggest thing that I learned was just to pay more attention to what you're ingesting. Um, and that led to this business eventually. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and experience with us and your new business, Friends of Water. Timothy Hickey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kim. It's a great pleasure. I appreciate your inviting me on. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Timothy Hickey, the co-founder of Friends of Water at friendsofwater.com. Thank you very much. It's rainmaking time.